This episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio is brought to you by Gamers Inn, where adventure begins. Check out their website at gamersinlehigh.com. Broadcasting live from the DCR studio. Oh yeah! The Geek Revolution starts here. Excellent! Get ready for the number one hit geek radio show out there. Well, it is impressive, isn't it? Because it's time for Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Welcome to another exciting episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio, and I just want to say thank you for uh, listening in. Uh, for those of you that don't know, we just uh, spent the last uh, three days this last week at uh, Solid Comic Con Fan X, so there's some material we've gotten from there. Um, pretty sure you've noticed there's been some write-ups and some articles that have rolled out, and we've got a, some more stuff coming out for you. But So we're super tired. Let's just put it that way. Uh, we walked quite a bit across the convention room floor, made a lot of contacts, talked to a lot of people, and uh, we're, we're just wiped out. So we do not have the traditional Monday night show for you with Gamer Forge and that. However, we do have a really cool uh, thing for you. Uh, Drew and I got to sit in on a panel called Storytelling in the, Your RPG. And it has Bob Defendi in it, uh, Brian Young, and... Curtis and Tracy Hickman, that's right, Tracy Hickman, uh, the, the man responsible for Dragonlance, uh, is, was part of this panel. So what I'm going to do is a special treat to you and all of our wonderful listeners and fans out there is let you take, uh, you know, the, take a listen to this panel. Great information on building characters and telling story within an RPG, information you probably won't ever find anywhere. Um, so really this does hit the Gamer Forge. uh subject but this we really go into detail and it's almost an hour long so uh with that said i'm gonna let you guys just enjoy this information soak it in and these are from guys you know bob defendi and tracy hickman have been writing stuff for decades and so who better to help you out with your storytelling in your game than these two amazing gentlemen and with that said we'll catch you next week enjoy this uh recording of the panel and tune in thursday have a good one. Since I was about zero, I've been doing it, so, um, yeah, that's me. Okay, my name is uh, Drew Gerken, and I'm part of the Dungeon Crawlers radio, uh, internet radio show, and um, on top of that, I'm also a writer and a game designer, so um, my whole life is really revolved around uh, building games and making sure that story arcs, specifically characters, kind of follow through in RPG campaigns as well as in uh, board game settings. My turn. All right. I'm Daniel Swenson. Uh, I am with Dungeon Crawlers Radio as well. I have uh, I've written so many stories for my uh, gaming sessions. Unfortunately, this poor man has had to lug them up several <laughs> flights of stairs. Uh, let's just say there's lots of Rubbermaid totes. But, so, uh, yeah. Does anybody have a problem if I spend the entire panel gently weeping? <laughs> Um, I'm Robert Defendi. I've been um, gaming since about 81. 
I've been writing in the industry since uh, 1996. Um, I've worked for Ironcon Enterprises, White Wolf, uh, Alderac Entertainment Group, and a lot of others who I can't remember. I uh, run the company Final Redoubt Press. We do the Echoes of Heaven role-playing game in currently three uh, different RPG systems. And um, it's really heavily story-based. And um, also, my biggest credit, I'm a, I'm a playtester in that book. Nice. <laughs> And that's an awesome book. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, anyone else want to say how awesome the book is? Because that really helps me out. I, I, play, I play this. I play this game at least once a year. It's a yearly event. I was kidding. Yeah. Around Halloween, <laughs> it is. It is amazing. Awesome. Uh, so I'm Curtis Aikman. Uh, I'm most famous for being Tracy Aikman's son. He calls him Michael Caesar. Yeah. <laughs> I am the co-author of uh, XDM Extreme Dungeon Mastery. Um, I'm also the chief creative officer of a little thing called Evermore um, that we're trying to build uh, in Park and Pleasant Grove, and uh, also a visual effects artist, and uh, what can I say? I grew up with Tracy, so I, I love RPGs. Woo! Sorry. I am Groot. No. Okay. No, no, no. I, I, it, it was the one line from the movie I can remember. <laughs> I'm, uh, I, I'm Tracy Hickman, and I'm probably best known for being Curtis Hickman's father. Uh, <laughs> he calls him like a season. Sure. Yes. I, I also worked on uh, an RPG that had something to do with a story called Dragonlance. Okay. Woo! Hey! You guys can applaud. Come on, applaud. Let's go. You all want to. So with, with role-playing games and story, uh, it was uh, when, uh, we're going to go with Star Wars, but my first RPG was Star Wars, uh, the old D6 West End game. It was the first time I realized that it wasn't actually a game, it was telling a story and you had to be an active participant. And uh, role-playing games have been shaping my view of stories ever since then, and I'm wondering, uh, among the panel, um, what was that, that moment, uh, what was... What's been that moment that, where you realized that it was more storytelling than, than gaming uh, and, and in a collaborative sense? I, I could start. Uh, there was a time when I was, when you first start playing, of course, you get the canned adventure and you sit down and you try to go through it. And then someone says, I do this. And it doesn't have anything to do with anything in the book. And you're like, you can't do that. It's not part of the story. And all of a sudden you realize, actually, that's ten times cooler than anything in the story. Run with it. And the next thing you know, you're actually telling this collaborative story, and that's the most that's the most magical thing ever. And with the second you realize that the story is the collaborative effort of everyone at the table, is the second you're going to be successful, in my opinion. It's a good opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else want to take that? Uh, I, I will, um, unless you were about to. You can go first. Okay. It was I was reading the the back cover text on a little adventure from the '80s. Um, called Ravenloft. And did you write the back cover text or was that the marketing department? No, I wrote it. That was brilliant. It was brilliant. <laughs> and, you know, Kostrad Valzerovich is having guests to dinner and you are invited. I I think it was that line that changed. It was like this explosion in my brain as I went from playing Keep on the Borderlands to having... Um, a gothic vampire tale unfolding in front of me, and I read eagerly read the review in Dragon Magazine, and it was not flattering. 
No, no, it wasn't flattering. And I was like, so it's also the first time I disagreed with a critic. Um, but uh, yeah, no, that was, that, was, that was pretty much it. Dragonlance also was big, but I, it was Ravenloft that really changed me. Yeah, I, mean, I entered in uh, with Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, you know, the first time I played, I was sitting down at my friend's house, and he was reading from the book, and I'm just like, man, this could be so much better. You know, and so we went through that adventure, and I'm just, I was scratching my head knowing, oh, this could be so much better. And I went home and like, started writing my first adventure. Uh, and we spent three hours, and we came back, and my, you know, my friend's like, that was ten times better than what I, this book came up with. So uh, that was really my, like, wow, I could do something and make this really fun. And then I didn't stop writing after that. My, mine's a little more pathetic, I think. Um, <laughs> So my, my best friend uh, growing up got me into D&D, the Red Box edition. That's kind of where, where, where I started, right? Yeah. Um, but it was just he and I playing. So he was the game master, and then I kind of wrote a couple characters, and I walked myself talking to myself in different character voices over and over again. So, And it was always, yeah, I mean, it was like the proverbial giant head-smashing monster-destroying guy and then some wizard or something like that. So uh, I told a lot of stories with myself, between myself, to myself, I guess, so... Um, but I would say that the, the first time that it really hit home was when I was playing uh, Earthdawn, the system Earthdawn, which is maybe not the greatest mechanics, but it's a fantastic world. And so that's where I really started losing myself in the world and the story or in the adventure. Fasted did that so well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, if, if I had that, I could be a YouTube star right now, man. Or in an asylum. Yes. So, um, one thing that's that's really dangerous, sometimes you can really read a story and go, wow, they pulled that right out of an RPG because a lot of the stuff doesn't make sense. Um, and Tracy, um, specifically, I'd like to ask you, you know, how do you, how do you keep those separate? Because sometimes what does work for the story in an RPG doesn't at all work in the story for a book. My first experience with finding story in, in RPG um, was, and, and I'm a little embarrassed, okay, uh, about this, is because when I got into RPGs, which was just after the age of steam, um, the, no one was doing stories. They it, was all, it was all dungeon crawl. It was all, you know, kill the monster, take his stuff, buy bigger weapons to kill bigger monsters and get more stuff. And and I, both, and my wife Laura actually introduced me to role-playing games. And both of us were tired of the dungeon crawl. And so we decided, why can't you tell a story in a game? Why can't you do that? And And, and so we had to come up with a way to do it, and, and we did, and that's, uh, there are actually, there are actually people, there are actually uh, uh, old hands in RPG who, who say that I, my wife and I have single-handedly ruined role-playing games, because we introduced story into the game, which was not the whole point of the game, the whole point of the game was to beat stuff up and take their stuff. Um, we, we thank you for ruining yes. the whole oh, well, thank you. Yes. Yes. Now, I, 
I'm going to just, I'm going to take a, I'm going to, I'm sorry to hijack everything for no, just a please. few minutes. This is happening. Okay. Just, just relax and do it. Just relax. Just let it happen. That's right. It's going to happen. Relax and let it happen. Um, I want to talk about story structure for just a few minutes. And because I think that this will help understand what the difference is between telling story in, in narrative form and telling story in, in RPGs. In, in, in dramatic story structure, there are four journeys that take place. There's an objective journey, which is the journey that everybody sees. It's the overall journey. And if we were talking, if we were talking about Star Wars, you know, it's the fight against the evil empire by the rebellion. That's the big plot. Okay. Then you have the main character's journey. This is the journey of the person through whose eyes we see the, the story. Luke Skywalker is our main character. Okay. Then we have the impact character, and the impact character is the one who most impacts the vision and and the course of the main character. This impact character, well, Obi Wan works pretty well, even though he like totally dies early on. Okay, he keeps coming back. He keeps coming. Yeah, sorry, spoiler alert over there. In the <laughs> <laughs> then the fourth journey here is the subjective journey. This is the emotional journey. It's the journey that takes place between the main character and the impact character. This journey is, is the journey that takes place between Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi, which is the journey of the Force. Learning the Force and being able to come to the Force in, in the positive way and avoid the dark side. Okay? So there are these four journeys. The problem with, in most role-playing games is that the first journey, the objective journey, is where we concentrate the role-playing game. Because we have no control over who the main character is to a great extent, nor do we really understand the, the impact character. If a dungeon master understands those elements, however, they can utilize the game, utilize the RPG and the module, to reflect those elements and to elicit those elements from the player, from the players in the game. Now, here's... Another part of this, and I'll, I'll move very quickly as I can through this. I'll take your time. There are eight basic character archetypes. Four of these archetypes are what we call driver characters, and four of these are called passenger characters. Remember the objective journey, the fight against the empire? The driver characters move that story, that journey along. The passenger characters are swept along on that journey. Okay? Drivers literally drive the objective story. Passengers are carried along on the objective story. The four basic driver characters then are the protagonist, the hero. Okay? Best thought of for us. In the case of Star Wars, this is Luke. Okay? He's our he's our white hat hero in the story. Opposite that, and these are opposite diagonal, is the antagonist. The antagonist is the bad guy. Okay? The person that the protect or the person or element that the hero is fighting against. In Star Wars, interestingly enough, it is the Empire. He's fighting the whole Empire. Not Darth Vader. Not Darth Vader. The guardian character is the person who watches over things and protects things. They are always weak. They always have to be neutralized in some way or else they'll take over the story. Or they will take over the story and control it. 
or fix the protagonist's problem for him. Right. Right? And so they're usually weak. In this case, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi. And you don't get much weaker than dead. <laughs> Opposite this is a character called the Contagonist. The Contagonist is the person who has their own agenda. They are the tempter, the temptation. The Contagonist in Star Wars is actually Darth Vader. Because he has his own plan, as we hear in the second film. Join with me, and together we will rule the universe as father, the galaxy as father and son. And forget the whole emperor guy. We'll take care of that. Okay? When you get to the passenger characters in Star Wars, again, very clear cut. The skeptic is... On Solo. Solo. It's very easy, absolutely. He doesn't believe anything's going to work, even if it's going to be to his benefit. Opposite this is the sidekick character. The sidekick character is a character who is all about support, who is all about faith and belief and things are going to happen. This is actually the droids. C-3PO and, and R2-D2 are essentially the same character with the same function in the story to say, oh, you can do it, Luke. Emotion takes place, is usually out of control okay, in their action elements and all about feeling. Give me a Wookiee for this every time. Oh, you big baby, come over here. This is, this is the attitude that people have toward the Wookiee. And opposite that, then, is reason, which is actually exemplified by Princess Leia. You're kind of short for a stormtrooper. If you listen to the characters speak, you can actually hear what they, what they do. They let us get away. How else do you explain the ease of our escape? The more tightly you grasp, the more systems will slip through your fingers. Exactly. Reason is, is Princess Leia in this case. So these characters all make for a complete structure. They make for a complete story. But how do you do that in a role-playing game? Yeah, so, so that's, that's the problem, right? Because in a role-playing game, your characters are your players. And they don't know this. They didn't sit down and say, oh, okay, I'm the skeptic this time. You're gonna, oh, are you going to be, oh, you are, are you emotion? Okay, cool. And then, you're, you know, and then you get together before and decide what parts of the story they're going to play. Most of the time, they'll sit down and go, I'm the protagonist. Yeah, let's do this, right? Because they all, everybody wants to be a protagonist. And so this is kind of the fundamental problem with trying to make your, your, your RPG a story. Because uh, you can do everything for them except the most important thing. <laughs> In, in the story, and that's have them play their, their parts. Yeah, so getting, so how do you get, how do you fill this in? How do you fill this element in? The, the RPG, most RPGs, I think you guys will agree, take huge amounts of space setting the stage. The background, the locations, the, the history, right? All of this is scenery. But you can't just have stage pieces on, on the stage and expect to have a performance. You have to have actors on the stage to make this performance take place. And the, di and the difficulty that faces the RPG is how to elicit the character's response, the story response from the player. 
Wow, that's heavy stuff. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we actually debated whether or not we were going to talk about this because it kind of goes beyond like, oh yeah, stories are fun in RPGs, right? And it's kind of like deep stuff. Uh, but we decided to kind of go for it because, uh, and this guy appreciates it, so I, I love that. And that guy in the back. All right, everybody raise your hands if you're appreciating it. Okay, we just we'll, got the whole room We'll, we'll, we'll tell you yeah. when you learn more about this later. Yeah, <laughs> no, for sure. There's, there's a lot to this. Um, and anyway, so it's, it's interesting because there are actually techniques that you can use and tricks you can use to get your players to actually um, create an argument in your story and to fall into these roles when you need them to. Um, and uh, we can talk more about that, but we don't want to take up all the time. Let, let, me, let me give you how I do this, because yeah, um, this I, I've taken it from two different points of view. When I'm running a game, I can run a game as awesomely as I want, but I'm writing these for people to buy, and so I have to try to give the GM a tool, all the tools I need, to do the same thing. So I'm, every game I do, I have to take from two perspectives. How am I going to run on my table, and how am I going to convey that to an audience? So in the Echoes of Heaven, what I, I take two tacks. First of all, I do an A plot and a B plot. Normally, the A plot and the B plot in a screenwriting or whatever would, would, would both involve main characters in the story. Um, the B plot's not often the main character, but you know, the main characters in the story would be, I don't do that. The A plot for me is our overarching story that we can determine, the objective story over the top. Uh, they go to X, X, Y, Z, Z, probably do all of these things. If they don't, here's some advice for what to do if they go off. Um, for the B plot, I take people who the players don't have control over, and I tell a story there. So they might be unraveling the story of two doomed lovers who accidentally destroyed a village. Or they might be watching a young paladin try to become go from the man who is a coward to the man who is going to try to sacrifice his life to save the world, and then we find out whether or not the party decks him at the end and takes that role over for him. But I, I put these in there um, as an example for the players to follow, and then I try to put emotional cues into the story the players are going to experience, so the, on the one hand they're seeing a story play out, on the other hand they're getting the little jabs that are going to try to drive them. And the last thing I do is I, I plot everything out in a three-act structure when I'm originally designing it, uh, but I don't want you to railroad your players. So every element, I say, this is how I see you going through this adventure. Every element of that, I say, here is the dramatic purpose of this scene. This is supposed to be an easy fight. If you don't have an easy fight at the beginning of an adventure, your players do not attach their wish fulfillment to the characters, and they don't feel awesome when the characters succeed and are challenged later. Uh, this is the act two twist where everything changes. This is the end of act reveal where everything falls apart and you get lost into the climax. And I tell that to the GMs I explained at the beginning. I'm telling you this so that if your players go off completely a different direction, you can fulfill that next dramatic purpose. Oh, well, they've completely broken my adventure, but it's time for the act two twist. What's an act two twist that fits what they're doing right now? What is a reveal? It's not going to be the story I told them to tell, but it's going to be a story, and it's going to be a complete story. And those are the elements I use when I'm designing. Um, for me, one of the things I really like doing is working... One of my favorite things to do is actually work with the players before we even start playing the game, so that we all understand one-on-one -on -one the backstories of the characters, so that you can introduce elements that would challenge them. And it's really player-dependent, um, but... 
to to take things from their background and kind of either throw them in their face or come back to haunt them or you know say you've got a character who really doesn't like uh, goblins per se and then keep nudging uh, adventures or points in the adventure to force them to maybe change their opinion of what goblins are uh, you know just just as an example but really um, work with them on what their backstories are so that you understand it as a, a, a dungeon master and they're playing it from that actual perspective it it makes for much more interesting and rewarding uh, story-based games I agree. Uh, something I do um, when I'm running a game, I, I do get a little bit of background, but then I throw out a, a couple of, I would say, junk adventures, kind of get a, a feel of how they're working together as a group or how individual players are running their characters, and then I start formulating my plan based on you know who's really stepping up, kind of the leader, who's kind of being fallen back, and you know who's the guy in the group that's the jerk that you know everyone has to deal with. Yeah, um, and then we just kind of start formulating the story and pulling in the emotional hooks to to really get them hooked. I mean, there was one time we had a uh, in my game I had a paladin that was just so holier than thou, and that you know we brought it to a point where I tricked him into releasing a lich upon the, the city, and boy did he hate life. He wanted to pretty much you know commit sepulchre right there, and, um, but he was I mean he's like I have to stop now. I can't play anymore. And so it took two weeks for us to come back for him to get back in the mindset because he's like, now where am I going to go with my character? You know, so it's really fun with that. And he was completely invested because of those emotional hooks. That he, you know, not only was his character completely devastated, but so was he. That's so awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. But I'd like to point out that, you know, Bob has shown us how we can put this into the actual yeah. text. What we're mostly talking about in here at this point is DMing technique. How to do the performance, not the script, and and so you know how do you how do you do story in how do you do story in RPGs has as much to do with the performance ability and the planning and the swift footedness of the DM as it does with what's on the page. I I have kind of a different approach than that side of the table, but I very much agree with Ryan. I think that storytelling should be organic, and I think it should feel organic and look organic, and people should feel like this is really happening and I'm making a difference. And I think that if, if I, I mean, and this is just from my perspective, but if I focus so much on these, these elements, these story elements, and I mean, I have an outline and I have a plot, but then ultimately I let the players drive the storyline, and th then they're important. Um, and then they feel whatever role they want to fill, and then they make the differences they want to make, and that's my technique, and I, I found it to be very, very effective, because at the end of the day, the story that gets told is a thousand times better than the one that I came up with that caused us, caused us to all sit down oh, yeah. at the table. Yeah. By having those emotional hooks is, is critical, I agree. I think, though, that, that in terms of, when we're talking story, which is different than game, Yes. Okay. in terms of story, William Goldman says that story is structure. And he's right. There is a structure to story. The wonderful magic in that is that it is a structure that all of us are uh, have in common. We are all of us hardwired for story. Humanity is hardwired for story. We view the world through the lens of story. It's how we make sense of the world. The chaos that's all around us and the elements that come to us, the inputs that we have, 
all of that chaos is made sense to us internally by framing it as story. And so it's a natural thing for us. It is organic to us because we are creatures of story. The, 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 the issue then is how do you elicit story from the audience? How do you elicit story from the players? How do you get them in, in, involved in story? Not necessarily, not necessarily the story that you anticipated it would be, but nevertheless still holding the structure of story, the form of story, the forward motion of story, and, and the arc through the three-act arc that we, that, that we talk about. How, not how do you drag them through the three-act arc, but how do you inspire them and elicit from them a structure that is a three-act arc? Yeah, I don't, I don't know necessarily about the, the structure part. I'm sure it just happens organically. But I, I think one, one thing to think about when telling stories in RPGs is it, at running a game, I think all of us kind of speak from a, a Dungeon Master level experience here or, you know, a super famous author experience here. That, that <laughs> <it's still> right. <laughs> um, but but I, I, one thing that, we're, that we really need to address is the fact that the players tell most of the story, right? We, we kind of put an outline together and we have the broad strokes, but the players are really the ones that fill that story in from point A to point B. Um, and so one thing I always like to do, there, there's a lot of discussion out there about the different player archetypes. You could have the, you know, the treasure seeker or the power gamer or the, the character driven person and that sort of thing. And it, it takes a little bit to know your group, but once you identify who is which archetype within your player group, um, you now have other ways to, I, I guess, incentivize the story. You know, if you have someone who's a treasure seeker, then your story as a dungeon master, your responsibility is to make sure there's an opportunity for that character to shine and to get their level of enrichment out of the game. I would also add that the story is still moving no matter what they're doing. And if they decide to go, you know, treasure hunting down in the, the, the troll cave, the army is still marching upon the city. And if it takes them, you know, they decide to go for the next treasure hole, that army is still marching and there's going to be consequences. And they need to you know, understand that and realize that. So as long as time is progressing in game, I mean, that kind of puts some urgency in there as well. For practical advice, I often at the beginning of a campaign, I throw a lot of spaghetti against the wall to see what sticks. Um, so I'll do, I'll do things like uh, one of my Echoes campaigns, and this, has nothing, this isn't in the written adventure. Uh, I just wanted to see what a, car- what a player would do if I put a kitten frozen into a puddle. Something happened to me as a kid and freaked me out. Kitten frozen into a puddle in the middle of the street. How would he react? I want to know. I, it's an emotional thing. Does he just go on by? And he adopted the kitten, and he took care of the kitten, and he loved that kitten. So I started behind his back <laughs> telling this story about how the kitten was actually the cat of darkness. Um, because cats are nocturnal, so cat of darkness is good. Um, the cat of darkness, he was, do, he, was, he, was, he was prophesied to save the world. So he kept on having these moments where he's like, what the hell is going on with my cat? <laughs> my cat's doing all these weird things. Until they finally got somebody that could talk to the cat and start getting the story out of him. And then he could start taking place of the story. It was very interesting. But it all started because I just threw this little moral test at him to see what he'd do. He got all hooked. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll like, uh, she really likes babies. I'm going to give her a baby dragon. You know, and uh, see what she does with it. See how she attaches. And then I have story hooks and emotional hooks to drive her forward. Yeah. 
Right. I think the I think the idea that we're saying is that we're not uh, you don't you don't use these things to replace what happens in your game. Uh, you use these things uh, in order to help. Uh, just in order to help direct it, which is to say it's a completely organic process. Like, there's uh, no one I don't think would ever disagree with that. Um, I, I once spent a while making a uh, campaign, epic campaign through Crin, uh that was just going to be Amazing. awesome. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Why would I do that? Um, and, uh, is that where I got that? That's where you got <laughs> so that. source uh, material. In, in the first uh, 20 minutes of the first game, um, the characters, the guys that were playing, decided they were going to go, they were take a turn in this dungeon. And I uh, had a bunch of fear locks set up um, to prevent them from... I had this kind of elder god locked away in this in this kind of a side area. Just as kind of a cool, neat little thing. And uh, and so uh, they all turned back like, oh man, this is scary. And then, then the one character, who I did not realize I really should have read the uh, character sheets, was a kender. <laughs> <laughs> so he just kept going. Do you know your, your dad had read those? Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So he just kept going, and then he came to the, the, the locked door, and I said, oh, this is a tricky lock, man. you got to get a, a 19 or 20, and he gets a 19. I'm like, oh, okay. So he got past the first locked door, and I had actually written this stuff down just in case somebody used some magic to see down the hall or something. I had what was down there. He gets past that door. He keeps going. He gets to the uh, big vault door where this elder god was locked up, and he's like, I'm going to open this one, too. And I'm like, well, first of all, dude, it's really scary in here. And I, I know Kendra are immune to fear, but even for, for, for you, this is kind of weird. I need you to, to roll a 20 to keep going, because I really did not want him to open that door. He rolled, hits a 20. I'm like, all right, man, you going to open that door or what? He's like, yeah, I'm like, it's locked. I'm like, this is a tough lock, man. you got to get a 20. Roll a 20? He rolls it. <laughs> so he unlocks the thing. I had this whole, I mean, honestly, it was like six games I was excited to go through. And within the first 20 minutes, this elder god is released and destroys the world. <laughs> All thanks to a kender. It was it. And I mean, and, and, and you know what? It was awesome. I mean, I love telling that story. Uh, and, and, and that's the point. You know, I mean, the whole structure of it, everything kind of fell apart. But honestly, in the end, it was just to have, have a really good time. Um, so I, you know, I would never advocate uh, using structure to replace um, having an awesome organic time in your game. Uh, but what it does for you is it just provides the ability, uh, uh, and again, like that's why I mean by this is really kind of advanced stuff, to be able to look at your game and say, okay, what's missing in this story? You know, we've got a character that's skeptical here. We've got this guy's kind of doing the sidekick thing. We really have nobody who is being logical here. Let's introduce an NPC that can carry on that role and can kind of fill out the argument of the story better and uh, help our players along. Um, and so you kind of there's just these little tools and things you can do to help fill the story out and help your characters fill the story out uh, as you sort of aid them uh, along. Do we, um, Tracy? I know you've got some more stuff you 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 have that you'd like to do. Uh -huh. well, I, no, I like it so far. It be, okay. I, I just yeah. I, I like the only thing I, The only thing I point out at this point is is that. Um, that these diagonal opposites are really instructive for you in terms of being a DM. Because you can use the opposites to elicit the reaction. Uh, if you're in a dungeon, for example, and you came across an NPC that was, that was weeping in a corner and, and, and who had lost hope, okay, that the natural reaction of people is going to take the opposite tack that you can't that, that they will try to reason with them or that 
or they might, if they if if if, if they're in despair, they might try to buck them up and try to take a sidekick role, for example. Heroes are made by antagonists. You can you you cannot have a great hero without a, a, a great antagonist. And so by having a great antagonist, you are asking the players to rise up to that. Okay? And if you have someone who is subversive, who is, who is, who is um, uh, treacherous, okay, it is going to elicit a guardian response from the players. So having an awareness of these elements can help you to elicit these responses because it helps you to identify what is going to elicit response from your, from your players. And, and it's just something really fun as players, right? Because it's not all, obviously, as we've said, it's not just about the, the, the DM, it's about the players. Um, and just do this next time you're in a game. Just pick one of these passenger characters and just go for it, you know? Just say, oh, you know what, this time uh, I'm going to be as skeptical as hell. And uh, just everything that happens, uh, you, you, you play that role. Because now even you guys know about this stuff, you can actually apply it to the games that you play from the other side, um, which can be really fun. And when you catch a player, uh, watch your players. The biggest GM, mistake a GM can make is a player giving him a cue and him dropping it. If you have a player who's playing the sidekick, the sidekick's defining trait is faith. If you have a player who's playing a sidekick, challenge his faith. I mean, that's, that's what he's hooking on to. Uh, you, you watch TV shows, the biggest, most heavy episodes will always be when a character's defining trait is challenged. And scrubs. When the one guy, the sidekick, the black guy, uh, Donald Fajan, um, when he, when his faith is challenged, every character immediately goes into full emergency mode because it is so, it's such an antithesis to the fabric of what that show has been up until that point. Um, when a player, when a player throws something at you, catch it. We, uh, all my stories are going to be from Echo's playtests because that's all I've been allowed to do for the last like seven years. But. Um, I had one player who accidentally, it was in Rollmaster, and he had a spell that he could cast, and it would disintegrate a bad guy, and he missed and almost disintegrated the saint that he that he worshipped the most. And so he told, came to me out and he goes, dude, I'm, I've lost my faith. I can't use the spells that make me powerful anymore until we fix this. And so I rewrote the entire next adventure to... Confront him to a position where he could only the only way he could win is to use those spells again. Yeah, and and you know I made sure the players knew so they didn't think I was just being a dick to them. But all the play, all the other players bought into it and they said, "Oh yeah, no, we understand. This next dragon is gonna be impossible to kill without Josh going to that well." And and then it just it, it turned into the, you know we played it all out, but we had to get everybody understanding and everybody working together and and stepping back and doing what was good for the story to make it happen. I think um, the players, having the players invested in the story makes the story better, uh, especially in their character relationships. Some of the best moments I've had uh, are, are accidental on my part, almost, but because the groundwork is there and the players are so invested in the story, they take it in a direction that I maybe didn't expect. Um, one of my favorite moments, I was in a game where there was this certain group of uh, people who, who wore these certain colored cloaks and they were going around and the, the characters were being pursued by them pretty significantly and they find that this murder's happened and the only 
uh, clue was this scrap of cloak from these people that they left. Well, one of the characters that they already didn't trust happened to have raided the body of one of these things and been wearing one of these cloaks. And the rest of the game was just them, like, harboring suspicion against one another, and it turned into this murder mystery, and I just got to stand back and watch this go on. And it was one of the most amazing moments of, of Game Master, and, and I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think that that's, that's a sign that, the, that you're telling a good story when you as the Game Master just sit back and listen, right? Like, aha, my minions, tell me my story. You know, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> I, when I, I used to run Run Out the Gods at cons, and my goal was, I'd be, I'd be doing 12 four-hour things a day, and my goal was, it's a pirate game, as soon as I could get a person standing on a chair, pretending he had a drink in his hand, giving a speech while talking like a pirate, my job as a GM was done. <laughs> I, the re, the le, le, next three hours would just be me reacting to whatever they did. Now, by the way, from the player's side, we're talking about the story. From the player's side, try this sometime, because I, I did this in a game with Peter Atkinson and Doug Niles and Margaret Weiss um, and Ed Greenwood. Um, <laughs> yeah. never heard of what a speech. list. Yeah. <laughs> it was a fun game. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, we were, oddly enough, we were elves who had ended up in a tavern. I don't know why we went to the tavern. Everybody does. And it was, we had come back from the wars, and we got into this tavern uh, in our hometown. Um, back, from, back from these wars, we've been years away. So we come into the tavern, and we're sitting down, of course, you got to do the tavern thing, you know, okay, order your ale and stuff from the tavern keeper. The tavern keeper comes over, and, and I looked over at the tavern keeper, and I smiled at him, and I said, Oh, you remember us? And I can still remember Peter Atkinson blinking at me when I said, that. well, n no, he said, I don't think so. Oh, I said, sure you do. <laughs> How could you possibly forget that night when we were here? <laughs> and he said, I, you know, I just, I'm not sure about what you're talking And I said, oh, come on, seriously? The barmaid, when she was up in the rafters, and the rest of us were down below and singing that song, and the place nearly came apart. Oh, yes. He said, okay, tell me what you remember about that night. By asking these kinds of questions and assuming relationships inside the game that should exist but nobody's ever talked about before, you can get some amazing responses from people. And in fact, can go ahead and build, build this deep structure of character on the fly. It does have a tendency to make DMs kind of choke, but <laughs> but if you can get them to play with you, and this is role playing, if you can get them to play with you, you can create on the fly some pretty amazing um, story moments. I, I think that's some of the best moments is when the players do challenge you. So you have to quickly think on your toes and develop that story in that moment. And who knows, I mean, you could have a complete story arc that comes off of that. I mean, in one of my games, I had this, uh, you know, little unknown thief that just came in and was trying to pickpocket uh, the, something from the group and failed. One of the guys actually spotted him, and he kind of, he sweet-talked his way out and then walked away. But, you know, 
the player ended up telling them their entire plan of what they were going to do and where they were going and what treasure they were going to steal. And then he became, you know, he just followed them and started stealing stuff from them and annoying them from that point on. But it was because of this entire conversation that almost lasted an hour between these two characters that really gave me a whole new story arc to go off of. Um, I, I want, if you guys are okay with it, I'd like to, to open it up for, for sure. questions. If you guys have any questions, uh, we've got a microphone right Let's here, go. just to make sure everybody can hear Come on up to the microphone. Look at those brave souls. Wow, there's a lot. Hi. Hey. So I planned an RPG with five other characters, and me and one other player build the main stories, the main arcs and everything like that. We have another person who makes makes really strong characters and whatnot to play along with us. And then we have two others who just kind of go along for the ride, just kind of you know do whatever it is that we're saying. So how do you get the lower end players to step up their game to just become you know one of the top tier members? I I, I can start. Go for it. Interact with them. When you have that person, we we do in several of our games. You just interact with them, ask them questions, bring in their history. If all of a sudden a big part of their backstory that they've never really advertised to the other players starts appearing and they're the only one that knows what's driving it and what's going on and they're the only ones that can do something about it or, or are the catalyst to resolution, um, that's cool. And then they start having to interact. Um, I think one of the things that worked really well for me is giving every player a secret they have from all the others. Yeah. Or asking them what their secret is from everyone else. And you as the game master can know what all these things are and juggle them so you, you put them in proximity to each other in those ways. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's typically what I do when we start a campaign. I'll, I'll do a, a sit-down question at answer session with all the players. But, but outside of that, I'm like sending emails trying to get the hidden motives from mm -hmm. every individual person. And you kind of speckle that in. But but if, if you're one of the uh, alpha gamers, for example, if you're one of the lead characters... Um, just start, yeah, start mentioning one of these lesser characters' names. And, hey, uh, pick, pick the one thing that they're excellent at and make sure that they get to do that every adventure. Or, you know, if you're at camp for the night and someone's in the river taking a shower, just say, hey, I never noticed you had scars on your back. Tell me that story, right? So, yeah. yeah. We, one bit of housekeeping really fast. Yeah. We, they, they flashed us the five minutes on. I didn't realize we'd go that far. Oh, wow. Are we the last panel tonight? No. No. no, we're not. Ooh. Another 8 o'clock. Man, that's brutal. <laughs> okay, let's just go one at a time really quick. I, I, I want to say one thing, Please. though. I, I challenge your premise um, in that it might be that you don't want to. I, I have had players that if I try to get them to play, they have less fun. I'm trying yeah. to get them to interact. They want to watch the other people interact. That's where they get their joy. If these, are you, these people, give them what they want. Don't give them what you think they should want. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, next I do as a GM is totally fudge the rules if it doesn't fit oh, yeah. the overall yeah. story structure. 
Like, I'll tell them, I'll totally, I'll have a Game Master Shield, I'll totally lie to them about dice results. In their favor and in my favor to make sure the story, I mean, as a Game Master, you're orchestrating the story in some way, and you can, you have to be able to read a room, and you have to know if killing this character right now is going to completely destroy the game and the story. Well, oh, actually, I folly. <laughs> lethality is not as important as the perception of lethality. They need yeah. to be worried yeah. about dying and not actually dying. But people need to die, so to yeah. create the perception of lethality, you kill people, just not them. Or if you do kill them, then there's a big reason for it, and there's some or, you know, some stuff that happens down the road where they bring them back, or it's cool, or whatever, but the perception of lethality is much more important than the actual lethality. I mean, one thing I would also add to that is, the rules in the book are just guidelines. You as a DM can decide what happens. And, you know, you, if you have a monster that has 200 hit points and, you know, they can't go against that, you know, bring the hit points down. Maybe it's been beat up by another adventuring group recently, and so it's not as strong as it was before. I had a dungeon master who evoked the right of dire and perilous, and so we were able to do whatever we wanted, and if we put ourselves in a really stupid situation or we really wanted to pursue a combat... The DM had the right to evoke dire and perilous, and he would just say that, and we knew, okay, if we get into this, we could die in this encounter. Yeah. And that way, the player has a little expectation. Sorry, so, we, checking the schedule, it seems like we are the last panel in here. If someone from the room, she just stepped out, didn't she? Okay, just ask the next question. I'll ask her next time she's in there. There is a panel right after. says there's not. It's killing the hero. On the paper, there is. Okay. Okay. Make it fast. One more. Yeah. My super fast question is, you know how as the GM, it's like sometimes it's like you're creating an action the players react to, or the players do something and you react to it. Is it better to keep a balance between their act and your reaction, and or their act and my reaction, or is it better for it to be only one way? What would you say? Anyone want this? I, I think it's important that they feel like they're driving the storyline. So even when you're acting and they're reacting to it, they should feel like they're the catalyst. They're the reason it's happening. Yeah, because it's like when you're the GM, it's like you're the guy who's playing the god of the world. You know, you're making things happen and they're making things happen. But they need to feel important. So yeah. if, if it is you that's forcing them to react, make them feel that they're driving the story and then you get your cake and eat it too. Well, I mean, honestly, the story is their story. It's, it's their, their story. adventure, and yeah. it's their game. Yeah. Well, you're just the storyteller. La last question really quick. I'm sorry, guys. I didn't realize we were that close. <laughs> so, our friends have only played like two or three times, and each time we try, I mean, we're still getting to the rules, getting to know them, and it already feels like the story is losing traction. What can we do to kind of help with that? <coughs> and we've switched DMs a couple of times as well. Why, is it why do you feel like it's losing traction? Uh, again, like our DMs, having, it's their first time DMing, or not all of us have books, so we're sharing, and we're kind of lagging on that. So player interest is waning? Is that what's, yeah. is that what's happening? Well, I personally would recommend the XDM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look at that, you just got that. <laughs> Extreme Dungeon Mastery, yes. I, good answer. I think player <laughs> interest, too, is the rules are a guideline. Yeah, they are. Not, not the rules. Yeah. So make it fun. And take a night off of gaming and sit down as a group and talk about it and figure out why it's lagging, right? Just sit yeah. down as 
your homies and talk about it instead of your characters. What's not working? What is? Yeah, absolutely. You got to have good communication between the whole entire group. So thank you all so much for being on this panel. It was way more fun than I expected it could have ever been. Um, and and thank you, thank you all. Yeah, thank you. Do you want more great shows like tonight's show? Then help support Dungeon Crawlers Radio by going to www.patreon.com forward slash Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Simply choose your level of support and join the geek revolution. Excellent!